uh, if you want to play with plastic guns, you can do so in your own back garden. They can try and stop me, they can throw things at me, but I might be a bit too high for that, really. Crikey. But it feels very intimate. This, I wonder if any of the listeners out there feel, feel an intimate connection right now. This is strangely intimate. in doorless chambers where strange and frightening sounds echo through the halls this is the theme park loopy podcast <laughs> Hey everyone, and welcome to the Theme Park Loopy Podcast. And today we're joined by Brett, we're joined by Sam, and we're also joined by Dan. Today we're going to be talking about the curse at Alton Manor. Brett is going to share with us his exclusive review. Um, It looks like it's had a little bit of downtime recently, so I'd be interested to hear Brett's thoughts on that, why that might be. Sam's joining us. He's currently over in the United Arab Emirates and he's going to update us on some of his adventures over there, some of the exciting rides that has been going on, some of the amazing immersive experiences that he's having over there. And we're also joined by Dan and um, I'm sure he'll pepper in some uh, information about his on-air club, uh, which is a a podcast where he takes uh, terrified participants up in a tiny plane and uh, talks to them about things, which is uh, fascinating and interesting. (laughs) He's not going to get me on his plane, though. Um, Anyway, um, Brett, how are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. I've had a very busy week traveling all across the country, I was in Land's End at the start of the week, back to the hotel to film people from Babe Station at the hotel. Yep, it's a long story. And uh, then over to Aberystwyth, to the Silver Mountain Experience, where I've been running more paranormal investigations there as well. It's been a very busy week with lots and lots of travelling. And uh, Dan, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm a bit frustrated because the, the plane I fly in has been down for maintenance for a week and a half, so I'm waiting for it to come back online. I would like to do a flyover of Alton Towers now that we're, we're back up and running again. It might be good to see some of the rides from above. So I'm trying to investigate, or whilst I'm here, what the the um, situation above Alton Towers is and how much of it's controlled and what I need to go through. Uh, but I think that might be a good little, good little flight out. Yeah, that does sound good. I know that they're not right happy about drones flying over Alton Towers, but I don't know if there's a right lot they can do about a whole aeroplane. Um, but yeah, that'll be interesting to find out. if you At least if you can skirt around it a little bit, you'll still be able to see it, won't you? Well, I, I don't see how they're going to be able to enforce a no-fly zone over Alton Towers, to be honest. So uh, they can try and stop me. They can throw things at me, but I might be a bit too high for that. I maybe. do know during the uh, construction of the Smiler, uh, there was a plane that was hired out by a bunch of enthusiasts from Towers Times, I believe, that was used to get construction photos because obviously you can't see it from outside the park at all. Uh, so that was something that was actually done. So yeah, I, th- I think flying over Alton Towers is is okay to do. Yeah, there's some fun aviation stories, uh, unrelated, but a, a long time ago in the uh, early 90s, they were releasing the BT Bomber 
and they had it all covered up so you could only see it from from the front and someone just hired out a Cessna flew over the hangar and took some top-down photos and the first photos that were ever released of the B2 bomber it was supposed to be top secret uh made a lot of people very angry so yeah there's, there's nothing they can really do I'm, I'm gonna do it I'm just trying to figure out how sounds good sounds good and Sam how are you doing hello hello I'm very well, thank you. I'm um, I'm currently out here in the uh, in the UAE in the beautiful Abu Dhabi. Uh, been out here for well about two months now, so or coming up to two months, maybe uh, maybe more like six seven weeks. It's been an amazing time. It's about thirty degrees uh, here, so it's nice and warm, and um, which changes from the rain. Um, and just been actually, I mean, apart from work, been enjoying all the theme parks out here and uh, the coasters and such. So it's been it's been mad because. Um, it's an amazing opportunity to have literally come to the other side of the world um, and kind of relocate my life. But you wouldn't even imagine just how much theme park attraction, immersive entertainment activity is happening out here. And on top of that, the quality uh, that's out here as well, that, that one can experience whether you come. So yeah, lots to, lots to dive into for sure. And just good to be back, you know, good to be back. It is good. And just for a bit of meta information for the listeners, uh, not only have I made Sam turn his air conditioning off because it made quite a noise, he's also decided to get underneath the covers in his bed to try and make the sound good. So if Sam kind of goes to sleep, then uh, we might have to give him a prod over the airwaves. <laughs> this is no joke. I'm currently underneath my, my, my duvet. The AC has been switched switched off. It is getting hotter and hotter by the second. <laughs> here's here's me. I took my my Rick and Morty hoodie off and everything for this, and and he's in bed. <laughs> yeah, like... honestly, it is actually getting stiflingly warm. So uh, when I mute, I'm going to have to quickly whip the covers off and then get some air. And then when you ask me a question, I'll throw the covers back on. Crikey, but it feels very intimate. This. Feel... I wonder if any of the listeners out there feel, feel an intimate connection right now. This is strangely intimate. Yeah, well, someone might be listening. That, that is how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone might be listening underneath uh, their covers, maybe, and uh, so they can feel connected, perhaps. Anyway. Um, that got a bit weird, didn't it? That got very weird, but there we go. It did get a bit weird. But let's talk about the curse at Alton Manor because Brett has been, Brett has casted his expert eye over the attraction. Um, so I'm going to be interested in what his review is. Um, I think it's going to be positive from what I've seen so far. But like I said, it's been down recently, uh, or at least had a bit of downtime. So I would be interested in why that might be a ghost train being down is kind of strange. Uh, usually it's just certain sections that don't work. So I'm kind of intrigued in that as to why the whole thing would be down, perhaps. So, uh, Brett, out of 10, how would you rate it as a dark ride? That's a tough one out of 10, uh, simply because this isn't a new dark ride in the real sense of the word. Um, people are saying that this is the year of the dark ride. 2023 is the year of the dark ride. It's the year of the renovated dark ride. Uh, Valhalla, uh, Alton Manor, and obviously Ghost Train at Thorpe Park. I wouldn't say at all that any of these are new, new dark rides. Uh, however, if you were to compare it to Jewel 
and you said that you put Jewel at a five out of ten, uh, I would definitely say this is pushing probably an, an eight out of ten. Uh, this is my own personal opinion. I have seen other opinions that have said that it is nowhere near as good as Jewel, which I think is ridiculous to assume. Uh, if you want to play with plastic guns, you can do so in your own back garden. Um, but we went on open day and it's the first actual ever open day of a ride I've ever been to. I know that sounds weird, but it's, uh, yeah, it's the first time I've ever been. It opened about an hour late. The queues were two hours plus long at the time. Uh, so we did leave it till later in the day to go on. Uh, but it was quite interesting, really. It was like, uh, it was it was dual. You could feel parts of it being similar, uh, but with this sort of clever overlay. And the one thing I really took out of this, I don't really know how much I can go into spoilers. Uh, anyone who hasn't listened to this uh, or hasn't been on the ride yet, but what I would say is the most impressive part of the ride for the fact that they only took five or six months actually doing it is the storyline is incredibly cohesive and it is really actually quite clever that they've managed to turn this little tiny effect that meant pretty much nothing in the haunted house and jewel, this little tiny Pepper's ghost effect of a girl and her cat uh, that meant nothing has now been made into this extravagant story where she has now been neglected by her parents the doll's house in the queue line has been replaced with a replica of the actual mansion itself. And that is now still another Pepper's ghost effect, except downstairs, all of her parents are having a New Year's party in 1892. And she's just told to, to get lost. You can see that obviously she's not being allowed to, to partake in any of this stuff and being neglected by her family. She goes upstairs in this doll's house to the attic where she then just has some sort of possession, gains this power and, and just decides to basically murder the party. <laughs> um, it's it's quite a dark concept when you really read into it. Uh, but the way it's all done, the projection mapping is, is quite good considering, uh, yet again, it's probably not had the biggest budget. It's probably not had that much time to do it all in. The lighting is brilliant. The sound design is very clever. There are parts of it that could definitely be uh, louder, uh, but you can definitely see that when it's all kind of fixed and no dark ride ever uh, opens to its 100% working capacity, there's always things to tweak afterwards. Uh, I have been told by an incredibly reliable source that there is potentially another three or four scenes yet to be added. Uh, so there's still more to come as well, which is really nice. You'll experience stuff like actually seeing Emily float in front of you, which is projection map, pepper ghost effect and stuff. But even seeing a physical version of Emily stood there with her shadow growing behind her into this monster. At one point you have a blackout section. A lot of people have said that this blackout section was very boring and didn't work and it was a cop-out. But if you actually read into the story enough, you can understand that actually what she's doing is playing hide-and-seek with you. And this whole part, 
hence the audio needing to be slightly louder, was supposed to be an audio experience. You can hear Emily's voice coming from different parts around the ride car. Uh, so I think, again, with tweaks, that will make more sense to some people that are viewing it. I thought it was brilliant. I couldn't really fault much of it at all. One thing I took away was the first time going round. I'm known to scare fairly easily, but I jumped twice, two little jump scares, which on a theme park ghost train is is nearly impossible a lot of the time. It's very, very hard to do that with just physical effects popping out. But again, it was the sound design that did that. It was clever lighting that helped with it. There's a brilliant, brilliant scene that replaces what was the skull popping up uh, to have your ride photograph. That is now a, a pretty damn cool scene. Uh, it's it's very clever the way they've overlaid all of this. And they've kept little bits like, are you scared of spiders? That little scene with the, the spiders that is known from the haunted house. And then they continued it through Jewel. Now Emily Alton says that. She's there saying it. And then you do have these animatronic spiders coming out, uh, albeit they look slightly like cuddly toys. Uh, and the, the giant spider that's kind of bobs its head at you, that's always been there since day one. He's been moved slightly, uh, but it's still there and has been updated and looks better than it ever has. There's some very cool effects in there. Uh, one of which is similar in respect to that of the haunted mansion at the end where you see the mirrors and you have the, the ghost sat between you. Uh, anyone that's done haunted mansion or has seen POVs of it, will know that there's actually a section halfway through the ride that almost does that effect. Uh, and it took me twice to ride round, And even then, I'm still not 100% sure how they've done it. Uh, it's quite good. Uh, I would say it is well worth a ride. I think you need to go in with an open mind and say that this isn't a brand new $10 million dark ride. It It's not that case at all it is a it is an overlay of a pre-existing ride i think if you go in with that thought and and look at to how much detail they've put into one the story and how much detail they've put into the care of the past existence of the not just the haunted house and jewel uh, but the past existence of other rides as well this this ride has more Easter eggs than I've ever seen. Uh, every Everywhere you look, there is a Easter egg to some sort of ride. All the gravestones in the queue lines have references to all past rides. There are the, even in the queue line and outside in the courtyard, there is a hearse that has Doom and Sons written on it, which made me incredibly excited. Uh, Doom and Sons being the first ever kind of walk through Dark Ride uh, very, very early on in the 80s at Alton Towers. So it's really nice to see stuff like that and, and them acknowledge that this is just a one in a line of, of long dark rides that we've had here at Alton Towers. Brett, do you think the reason like it's got mixed reviews, people are coming out with different opinions, might be because of all these Easter eggs that you're guessing because you're immersed in you know theme parks and, and have a lot of knowledge behind you? whilst as a lot of a lot more sort of casual riders probably won't be equipped to, to to catch all these little minute details yeah that is a good point i do wonder if they've put so many easter eggs and little things that you have to 
almost remember uh, from the past rides experiences that that you kind of maybe need that a little bit to appreciate this a little bit more. But I have seen enthusiasts that are more than knowledgeable about the rides at Alton Towers and all these Easter eggs that have just said, no, it wasn't that great. I don't personally have that opinion. I don't see how uh, someone could, someone told me even today, a friend of mine that went to Alton Towers today said that Jewel was better. I didn't think Jewel was good, but it's not as good as Jewel, um, which baffles me. I I wouldn't say that at all. Uh, I think the the way that Emily Alton looks in the ride is is brilliant, and it's so clear as well for projection mapping. You you normally can tell you're looking at a projection, whereas these these are very very clear projections. You can see the veins under her skin in there, and it's it's quite nice to to be able to see that detail in some cases. But again, am I looking at it from an overall arcing point of view of maybe I consider the production side more impressive than the ride itself? Yeah, that is possible. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a massive fan of of Jewel. Um, And I don't know if I'm right, Brett, but I, I kind of feel like the cars were sped up a bit on Jewel than what they were before. Is that right? Or did I just imagine that? Um. I always felt like on Jewel you were kind of racing round and kind of banging through doors and stuff. When when I think back to when I rode the Haunted House when I was younger, it always felt like it was a bit of a gentler ride around the Haunted House, but it could just be a trick of memory perhaps. Yeah, I'm not sure. I understand what you mean though. Uh, I would actually say that, yeah, when you're going round Jewel, you kind of feel like you're swinging round, don't you, a little bit? I wonder if that has something to do with the fact that there's a gun in your hand and you're actively looking for the next scene. So you're always one step ahead. Maybe that has something to do with the feel mm. of the pace of the ride. Yeah. Uh, but I would say that removing the guns has made the ride feel more, you know, kind of flowing and a little bit smoother in general. I, I would say they've definitely thought about the overarching story of the ride as well you clearly are in fact there's there's quite a clever little thing which again do you notice if you're not really looking for these little details um as you go in there is a happy new year banner from 1892 as if the the place has been abandoned and and this party was just kind of left uh you're going in and you see that it's dead on midnight uh there's a clock there by the time you hit the final scene, there is a clock there that says five past midnight. I'm not even sure if it hits quite five past. And it's almost the exact time of the ride itself. Things like that, I quite like the thought that they've really put into that. That There has clearly been a team behind this have really, really gone all out on, on thinking about these little details. Um, yeah, this sounds amazing. And you might have to ride it a few times to to really get all those details, I think. This honestly sounds so good. I mean, I, I was following uh, your posts and things when you um, when you were there on opening day, as I was with uh, a lot of the other kind of UK enthusiasts who were there. Um, it seems to me that there's so much fan service that's been given here, which is really nice. Um, and like you were saying, Brett, you know, there are so many Easter eggs and so much fan service. But one thing that strikes to me, and I, and, I, and I feel like we're seeing this more and more now with Towers as they kind of 
really home in on their enthusiast community and and they kind of almost give back to the people that have loved the resort so, for such a long time, which is so lovely. Um, it seems that they're really proud of the heritage of the haunted house being one of the most classic attractions. And and that, as, as you were saying, Brett, that this uh, bringing to life the whole uh, Emily Alton story is, is really just embellishing um, a story that they've already kind of told and really showing the kind of community and visitors alike that towers are proud of their own history and stories that they've organically told like they don't need ips they don't need movies they don't need things like that everything is purely either from a from a story they've told before or from a new story that they're willing to tell which i think is so nice um one thing i wanted to ask brett um you've spoken a lot about the the rides and and, and the hardware and the tech and some of those uh the, 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 those story elements too but the, so for me, the queue line was always the number one thing I loved about uh, Jewel. I loved that whole, the creaky floors and the kind of, it was lopsided, so you felt dizzy. And, and as you said, the pepper ghost effect in the, in the dollhouse, it always felt like it was a really high quality class uh, experience you were walking into before you obviously got on Jewel, um, which obviously had its, had its issues as it got older and older. So um, could you just, for me, obviously, I've, I've not seen a lot of spoilers, and I guess um, maybe we have to do this as spoiler-free as possible, but what are some of the differences and changes to the queue line, and, and how do you think that's impacted the experience uh, positively? I think when The Haunted House opened in 1992, uh, that queue line was was so beyond what had been done before, uh, and then obviously it kind of essentially stayed the same for, for Jewel. They've now rerouted it for uh, um, for disabled access as well. You still do have a bit of a wonk in the room, but not quite as much as it used to be when you walk through the centre. Um, but it still keeps the same essence that it once had. Uh, the only real changes in the queue line is this new doll's house that, that replicates the front of the actual Alton Manor. And uh, it's quite an impressive little piece. What I would say is probably this version of the queue has now made it a pre-show. In fact, I would suggest anyone that goes to Alton Manor, uh, if you can't hear or see the little projection mapping bit uh, and you have a uh, voiceover kind of telling the story a little bit, I can't work out whether the voiceover is the same voice that is used in Hex, but it's a very similar sounding, booming, Alton Towers sounding voice, if that makes sense. And uh, if you can't see that when you're walking through, there is a wide enough pathway there to let people past. I would suggest you watch this little pre-show. It gives you a good rundown of what to expect. Uh, the one thing I wasn't 100% on is there is, at one point, uh, again, given some spoilers, uh, there is a one point where all the kind of lights go out and the whole lit the whole room is filled with UV. You see this quite a bit around the ride as well, and also when you leave the ride, it's uh, through the ride exit, uh, and all over the walls, absolutely everywhere, is UV paint saying, "I, I want to play." All those typical things that we've seen in the adverts, you know, 
like hate and all these different things as if uh, Emily has gone around the room and painted all these horrible messages all over the wall. Um, the one thing I would say about it is it looks a little bit like some, I know this is kind of the point, uh, it looks a little bit like someone was given some UV paint and told to go and paint those things on the wall, which I know is literally what has been done and it is the point, but it it looks like they've handed it to the ride operator the day before and gone, paint all of these horrible messages all over the walls, please. I, I don't, I would say the rest of the set and everything else is absolutely amazing and the work done on it is so good. But that was my only takeaway is this UV writing was, and I think that is down to me being nitpicky with UV lighting and, and writing on walls. I actually made the same mistake at my own scare attraction last year, uh, Killers at Terror Mountain. I did hand write, handwritten stuff in a UV corridor uh, that was strobed in UV. I wrote all these words all over a wall. It it didn't look good. It is just how it is. Um, so it is a little bit of a shame, really, that, that that is now all over the walls. But it's a very cool effect when those lights come on because you can't see any of this paint beforehand. So when they all come on, this whole room is lit up in just words absolutely everywhere. But how nice, though, Brett, that you can be and that we can be so detailed when it comes to like feedback, right? And it's so nice that 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 is the only kind of, I guess, constructive feedback is something as detailed as that, because it shows that actually the majority of what they've done is 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 incredible. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's an issue at all. That is me trying to find fault in things almost. Um, and I, I think I only noticed it because I've made the same mistake myself. Uh, otherwise, I, I probably wouldn't have picked up on it at all. The people I was with at the time, I was like, uh, doesn't that look like it's been written by just anyone? Uh, and they were like, no, it looks like Emily Alton's been round and scrawled all over the walls. And I'm like, yeah, that that is the point. But that was me nitpicking. Um, it's, it's the only thing I think that, that kind of made me go, eh. But yeah, I can't find too much fault anywhere else. They fully admitted that the ride wasn't 100% finished. Uh, I don't think any dark ride is ever fully the best it can ever be. Uh, it's already had some downtime, which you uh, mentioned earlier, Ryan. Uh, I think it was yesterday on the 25th. Uh, was when it was down for the entire day, pretty much, rather than other than fifteen minutes chunk in the day. That is probably due to them one either trying to fix one of these effects. I know that there is an effect uh, in the in the garden section, uh, which has actually been turned off because it's just not working the way they want. Um, that is Emily Alton again as a Pepper's Ghost style effect popping up from a coffin. Uh, apparently it was done very well but it was turned off because it just didn't quite work the day before they opened it could have been the fact that it was closed to fix things like that we're not sure yeah well i mean it sounds fantastic um i wasn't a big fan of jewel i'm really pleased that they've gone back to haunted house style attraction but with a more modern twist so i can't wait to ride it a bit later in the year for sure um Okay, so moving on then, um, I think Sam's going to give us a bit of a, a 
short update on some of the rides that he's been on over in the UAE and maybe he'll give us a bit of a lowdown on the ones that he's liked the most, um, the ones that he hasn't liked the most, if that's possible. So I'll hand over to you, Sam. Oh, thanks, Ryan. Yeah, so it's been quite the adventure. So as I say, I uh, came over to the UAE in February. So I've been here now for about uh, a month and a half or so. There is such a big theme park community here with respect of across Abu Dhabi and Dubai, which are two Emirates that are next to each other. Everyone knows Dubai. Abu Dhabi is the capital of the UAE. Um, Across those two Emirates, and bearing in mind an Emirate is not that big, (laughs) they're like cities, there is over 12 theme park and water parks um, combined, which is ridiculous. That is almost, that is is, uh, in competition with Florida, if not more than than what Orlando has. Um, And these are big properties. We're talking about uh, Warner Brothers. We're talking about Ferrari. We're talking about, um, well, soon as as it's just been announced, SeaWorld. We're talking um, uh, about MotionGate with Sony and Lionsgate and DreamWorks. Um, We're talking about um, Atlantis, the water parks. And and there's so many other uh, parks here that, that are bespoke to the region. But these are not again these are not things that are done half-heartedly either um in if you've ever uh, had a look at uh, dubai or, or abu dhabi or the uae in general it's always the biggest the fastest the best it's always very superlative right they love those kind of those real big strong uh the biggest coaster or the best or the fastest and let me tell you that is exactly what you'll find here so um you can imagine, right, off I go. Uh, it's one of my first days off here. Now, what does every theme park enthusiast do uh, on your first day off when you have a weekend and you live on Yaz Island, right? So I live on a place called Yaz Island. That is uh, home to uh, the morale theme parks. So Ferrari World, Sea World, um, Warner Brothers World and Yaz Water World. Um, arguably four of, the, four of the most incredible theme parks out there in the world because they just have had so much money invested into them and the quality that you'll find and the detail that you'll find is unbelievable on par with rivaling Disney. Now everyone of course knows Ferrari uh, because it's home to Formula Rosa right the world's fastest coaster. So of course me being a theme park enthusiast just like many others who have come out here it's my first weekend off it's a Saturday I go straight flying out to uh to ferrari world and i am rope dropping that thing so uh funnily enough i rocked up to the mall uh where the entrance is uh weirdly enough uh, to the theme park uh theme parks here are very funny hours so they open from about 11 or midday and they'll stay open till about 7 or 8 p.m and that's because the culture here is very much like later in the day so i get to uh, ferrari world I'm ready to go. I've had my Starbucks. I'm like, you know, pumped, right? I've had a cold brew with like five sugars. Get me on a coaster. (laughs) So I go flying into the entrance of uh, Formula Rosa. I'm there. There's no line because it's still quite early in the day. So it means that the parks are are less busy, which is wonderful news. So I'm there gearing myself up. You know, I've got got my goggles on. I've put my stuff in a locker. I'm standing there ready to go, right? The car enters the station. The, the gates open, the air gates open, and I gently, nervously, and slightly sweaty, because it was warm, 
take my seat on the front row of Formula Rosa. Now, let me tell you, um, I have never experienced a launch that feels like it goes on for about a million years. It's not the most uh, in, intense launch, so it's not like a cable. Um, it's not like a, it's not going to wham you like like stealth where it has a nice big punchy uh, punchy start. It's very gradual. Um, it is it is on a cable, uh, but it's it's very very gradual and it pushes you. Um, kind of but you feel the speed the further you get along um and literally your your face cannot move because it is so forceful they also encourage you to not obviously move your face to the side and keep your head back because literally you are pushed all the way through um it's also sometimes a little bit hard to breathe occasionally because it is so forceful um as you get through of the launch you obviously enter the actual layout of the coaster itself the layout isn't too um crazy it's a lot of like nice airy floaty airtime and it's some nice big banking turns but that's also due to the fact that it's it's going at such a high speed that they can't you can't have too many elements involved with that for the safety of everyone involved otherwise we'd all have whiplash so um i get off the coaster right i'm sort of slightly giddy you know sort of all excited and uh i you know i haven't can't believe that i've managed to jump on the front row and put my goggles in the uh in the in the in the bucket and, and walk off so i'm as i'm you know having my 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 my, my, my soda i'm looking down and my t-shirt that i had on at the time has just got all these black and dark marks and i'm like what on earth is that and i got so annoyed because i was like oh great like the harness that the, the restraints have left uh like residue and i was like maybe it's something to do with the heat um or, or whatever but no these were bugs we were going so fast and i was on the front row that bugs had literally like like been squashed by my t-shirt because we were going so fast and they have permanently left a mark so i had to throw that t-shirt away because they didn't come out in the wash dead bugs do not come out in the wash people um so that was that that was wild so to, to get to ride that was just fantastic um the other things that I kind of stand out, things I wanted to talk about um, that I really found surprising, everything in terms of the theme park culture here, most of them, most of the parks are inside, obviously due to the heat. There are a few that are outside. Now, one of the most famous um, parks that's outside is in Dubai Parks and Resorts, and that's Motion Gate, which um, I'm sure a lot of you will, will have heard of. It's the kind of universal style park of the UAE. So that means you've got um, you've got a you've got a main street style entrance with a hub and spoke design, uh, and you have uh, out of that kind of uh, main central roundabout area, you have got um, your Sony Studios, Columbia Studios, and your DreamWorks. And let me tell you, the DreamWorks building at the back is one of the most impressive theme park environments I've ever been in my life, to the point where I literally burst into tears when I walked through the door because the theming was so good. Which leads me on to my next biggest bold statement that I'm going to make. And I've been thinking about saying whether I should say this or not, but I'm going to. Uh, if you go into the DreamWorks building, uh, it's divided up into uh, Kung Fu Panda, House Trainer Dragon and Shrek. All three areas have around about one e-ticket attraction in and then some flats, which kind of cover the space. So... I went into uh, Shrek first, right? Now that is, if, you, if you've grown up with Shrek, uh, if you're around about, I don't know, um, well, uh, it doesn't matter. If you've grown up with Shrek or you've seen Shrek, um, it will have that nostalgic vibe. 
I can tell you everything from the floor in that environment to the trees, to the ceiling, to the different um, cloud, I think they call it like the poison apple restaurant, which they literally built a physical castle in this, in this, in, in, in this space. Um, within that uh, area is a ride called um, Shrek's Fairytale Adventure or Merry Fairytale Adventure, something like that. It is a trackless dark ride. Now, this isn't just any trackless dark ride, people. This what it does is retell the story of, of, of the first movie of Shrek, right? But it tells it in a way that means that the way the cars move around the space, um, you are constantly pointed and pulled into focus of where they want you to look. But they not only do this through physical motion of the car, but they also do it by the way that they're, that they're using their lighting in their space. So just as you start to move, you know, maybe they'll light up one small section of a wall or something, so your direction is completely pulled. But then what they do, what you don't realize is because you're covered in, because you're surrounded by pitch black, it could be that you're actually in a much larger room, but they just haven't revealed that yet. So you may be looking at, you know, one small, for example, I don't want to, I'm going to give a spoiler here. You may be looking at the mirror, who is this year's bachelorette, you know, that, that mirror, the, uh, the magic mirror. Who did the um the uh the kind of um dating show for the princesses you may be looking at that mirror and then all of a sudden the entire room lights up and you realize oh my gosh this whole time when i thought i'd been in this small space or moving through an area i am actually in a ginormous room that has now just magically been revealed and the whole time there is moments and reveals like that where you can't actually physically tell where you are in the space which means that the whole thing you then stop thinking of this as a as a ride. You stop thinking of it as a show building, and you actually just switch off and allow yourself to be immersed because there's no point because you can't tell where you physically are. So you let go of that, right? Unlike um, uh, traditional dark rides that we see in the UK, you're following one track or one path, so you always know where you are. But here, you're completely disorientated because there is no end and there's no set where you can go. It's all. It can be anywhere because of the way that the ride is designed. So I'm going to go ahead and say that that Shrek dark ride at Motion Gate is the best dark ride I have ever been on in my entire life. And it is also my number one favorite dark ride I've ever had the pleasure to experience. I burst into tears at the end of it because I was so emotionally overwhelmed. And I was so in awe of how incredible a dark ride can be done. So if you were coming out, you must do that ride. The last thing I want to touch on really quickly is um, Mission Ferrari out here is another real good one to watch. Everyone's been going uh, wild about this um, out here. I'm not sure how well it's been covered worldwide. If you're unfamiliar of Mission Ferrari, it is a, um, it's a dynamics um, attraction. Uh, it's one of their SFX coasters. There's only two of these existing in the world. One at Ferrari World, and the other one um, is well is soon, hopefully, uh, going to be at uh, Genting's Sky World, which is in Malaysia. Um, and uh, this attraction is absolutely fantastic. Mission Ferrari, this coaster, if you can even call it that, has got so many different elements. Um, it is so immersive. We're talking physical show scenes in a coaster that are 360. We're talking lasers, talking special effects. We're talking forward track. We're talking backwards track. Um, I am going to put a spoiler out here. 
Um, so be warned, because I'm not sure that everyone listening to this will have the opportunity to come out to this part of the world. So I feel like it's the fair thing to do. Um, is that there is a moment in this ride where you kind of you you do a run of a of a of a of a, of a, of a section of track, like a layout of track. You enter uh, like a dome, similar to if you've done uh, a Wisdom World attraction, Brett, that'll be you seen. Um, you'll enter a dome, um, and you kind of see uh, like like a, like a mini projection show, similar to what you got on Harry Potter. At this moment in time, your track disconnects from a coaster track onto a motion sim situation. You're then on a motion sim, at which point the track then at some point stops, reconnects you to another track, which then releases you only to realize that you're pretty much vertical and go down a whole backwards track drop. Not only do you do that, from there, you then get thrown into a launch. And then just when you think everything's over and you've hit a brake run and the ride stopped, you then hit a sideways coaster drop. Unbelievable. This thing is next level. Um, I would encourage you to check out the rides here and the and the parks here because they the theming is second to none. The coaster technology is second to none, and the world isn't isn't finding out about this stuff enough. So um, please uh, do some research. Have a look. Um, if you like your movies, you've got movie parks here. You've got Warner Brothers here. If you like your extreme thrills, you've got some of the best in the world. Um, it was only last week that I did a review about the fact that a mall in Dubai that I visited, Dubai Hills Mall, uh, I wrote an article on the Coastal Sand Blog, which you can check out. Um, awful uh, uh, pitch then, but I had to. Um, I wrote an article about it because it was amazing. We were walking through the Dubai Hills Mall and we just happened to stumble across the world's first vertical launched coaster. And this thing was just in a mall and it launched you launched you up the, up the lift hill. Like it was NSM launches that that pushed you at like, I don't know, what felt like a million, <laughs> a million miles an hour over the top of a lip of a, of a, uh, of a, of a, of a, of a, of a huge lift hill. So, um, yes, it's, it, there's going to be so many more stories. I will, uh, hopefully, uh, kind of update you as and when I do certain things, um, and go to certain parks. Um, I'd like to do a bit more of an in-depth talk on here about Warner Brothers, because that's fantastic. Um, and I'm going to be out here for the opening of SeaWorld, so maybe I can uh, see if I can do some stuff there. But um, I'd also like to talk about how to train your dragon, but we'll save that for another time, because that is another fantastic Mac-powered coaster uh, that's out here. But at the moment, that's what I've got time for. <laughs> One question I do have. Uh, I was talking about this on my incredibly lengthy journey to Land's End the other day, because uh, I was with a guy who, who uh, works in theme park kind of theming and stuff. And uh, we were talking about different parks in Dubai and places like that. You said earlier, there's however many theme parks, water parks and everything in, in these condensed little areas. When you say all of these parks and water parks are in Florida, which is such a big destination worldwide where everyone goes to, are they basically trying to emulate that existing thing that we know Florida to, to, uh, Florida to be? Or are they spending so much money on these ridiculously massive, well-themed, packed-to-the-teeth-with-rides uh, theme parks and water parks? Because 
they simply have the money to do so. Um, sorry, you might get a bit more echo because I've had to come out of the uh, duvet cocoon because when I say there is the Niagara Falls in my bed right now, I'm uh, I'm not joking. Sorry, that's disgusting, but I'm just going to be honest. Um, the <laughs> Enjoy your drinks, everyone. Happy Sunday. Um, the... Mm. <laughs> The, uh, yeah, I think that's a great question, Brett. I actually don't think out here that anyone's trying to copy anyone um, because ultimately uh, the theme parks and theme park uh, kind of um, attractions and that whole side of things is not really for the Western world. Um, It's really for the EMEA uh, region. So, um, uh, you know, Middle East, Africa, Russia, areas of of asia as well it's not really marketed towards the western world because uh, europeans and americans and such will go to america for that so i wouldn't necessarily say they're trying to copy uh anyone really i would say if anything they're trying to create their own um bespoke uh, reasons to visit and i think that's why a lot of the parks here are so different to what you find in florida by the fact okay sea world yes that is um that is straight, obviously, taken over from Orlando. But if you think of all the other parks here, actually, there's not that many um, IPs that exist in other parks around the world. For example, you don't have a Lionsgate theme park in Florida. You don't have a DreamWorks theme park. You don't have a Ferrari, Ferrari theme park. You don't have a uh, Warner Brothers World theme park. You know, um, And I think, ultimately, they do have a lot of money. But I think because they want to attract tourism and want to make it as good as it can be, and they have the money to do so, um, they can pull the best people from around the world over to this part of the world to create something that is, you know, dreamlike um, because they because they're able to do it and because they want to make sure tourism is is uh, is, 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 is good. Um, that's my understanding. But yeah, it is. I mean, it is absolutely incredible whether you're coming as a tourist or you're coming to work here or whatever it may be. It is unbelievable. So I would I would honestly it's, it's not very far from the UK or from the rest of the world. Um, it is worth the trip. If you're a theme park enthusiast, you you would need to spend if you wanted to do everything, you would need to spend about well at least 10 days to see everything. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting to see how there's as the comparison there and how a lot of people don't really realize what's going on out here and, and to the level of, of what's going on. If you're going to book a, a 10 day trip, Sam, uh, book a, you know, a reasonable hotel, um, all the food, drink, what, what have you, how, how much do you think you'd need to budget? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say, I mean, your average flight out here is going to be between 400, I'll do this in pounds, between 400 to 500 pounds. Um, and then I would say your hotel out here, your, your, your general expenses isn't, it's not too dissimilar to the UK, to be honest. Um, so, you know, a quick service meal here at a theme park, for example, for a price point, rough price point, you're talking about eight to 10 quid a head, maybe 12 uh, if you're going to a certain thing, so pretty standard again, not not too dissimilar. Um, your so your hotels here, again, not too dissimilar to what you'll find, and your taxis for your transport. Taxis are very very cheap here, very 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 cheap. So easiest way to get around. So I would say you could probably do a decent ten day stay uh, for, well, I don't know, per person maybe 
15, 1500, maybe all in, you know? So um, I would really, I would really, really suggest it uh, just even have a look. And even if you don't want to do the Dubai parks and also the uh, Abu Dhabi parks, you can just like Abu Dhabi alone in, ya- in, in Yaz Island has, uh, well, soon to be home to five, five parks. Um, and okay, they're only an hour in between, between Dubai and Abu Dhabi, but there's enough in each emirate to kind of fill whatever trip you wanted. It's just, if you find yourself out here, there is so much here. Um, I just think it's ultimately that people don't know about it. Yeah, it's, it's dangerous listening to you because I, I legitimately want to get this booked. Like it's, I, I was sort of looking at the, uh, the West Coast of America, half looking at Japan, and now this is just... I was thinking, Dan, why don't we all jump in your plane and uh, you could fly us all over? Why not? Well, because it's it's a single engine plane (laughs) without any any ability to... Like, if if the engine fails over the sea, then we're just... (laughs) I'm not going to communicate it. That's a bad idea. I think you have a lack of faith in your your confidence as a pilot, in in that case. That that could could be it, yeah. yeah. Although I have... Whilst uh, whilst you lovely people have been talking, been checking out Alton Towers, it's completely uncontrolled airspace. You can do whatever you want. So I'm I'm definitely I'm going to fly over the pizza and space. land on the uh, lawns. <laughs> well, I'm not obviously you can't oh, do okay. that. I don't right. do that. That's a bad idea. But but you can fly above it. It's fine. It's all it's all good. So I'm I'm definitely gonna gonna get out plan for the next trip out. Um, one really quick question, uh, Sam. Sorry, it's just whilst I, I have it on my mind. Was there any like protective eyewear um, for uh, for the Ferrari ride? What what was the situation? Formula yes, Rosa? yeah, there is. So everyone um, has to wear protective goggles on Formula Rosa. Um, uh, that's and in general, there's a lot of protective uh, if you're if you're practice if you're practicing of a different religion, and therefore that changes what what you uh, choose to wear and how you choose to dress. There's also all sorts of um, kind of protective measures you have to take uh and which is inclusive of um your uh eyewear as well so they regardless they have special goggles if you wear glasses they have special goggles if you don't um and they and you have to go you go almost go through a bit of a safety briefing in the queue line where they explain what measures you need to take depending on your circumstance so it's um it's really interesting it just shows you how uh fast and intense that coaster is and what's even more great is that um if anyone out there was to ever say oh okay well i'm gonna beat that record like i'm gonna say i can't i don't know what the exact speed is let's for argument's sake say it's 150 miles an hour i don't know that it is it's uh is it 156 oh i, I might be quoting king Dakar the there i'll double check it's let's say let's say let's say for argument's sake it's one five six or whatever, um and and a coaster company comes along your attraction comes along and goes okay great we're gonna do one five eight or whatever, um they Ferrari World will just shake their head and go no and they can literally just turn a dial, uh to make it go even faster so it can go um obviously there must be a limit but it can if anyone was to be the fastest it wouldn't last very long it would last probably about a week and they'd get the engineers out and uh, turn it up themselves and they, they're back on top. 149 Amazing. miles per hour, 240 kilometers. There you go. I just feel sorry for all those bugs. Um, you know, if you're a bug around that coaster, you're going to have a bad time. 
That's what that's what they're saying. I'm going to start calling <laughs> Sam like Swatter Sam or Sam Swatter. <laughs> yeah, that could work. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, before we wrap up then, I think, uh, Brett, you have got a bit of uh, trip news that you want to share with us. Yeah, I don't know if you spotted me eating cake. This is my uh, iBook to go to Florida cake that I made myself. Um, basically, after talking to you guys... Uh, and uh, having a friend and stuff, we kind of looked into it a little bit more, and we said, is this actually doable? Uh, If you've listened to the questions that I was asking these guys um, in a recent episode, I was wondering how on earth you can go to Florida for £2,000, which is what people were claiming you could do. Uh, And we, we looked into it, and with enough searching and enough budgeting something like that is possible and uh, we have managed to get it for about two thousand pound per person uh that is including park tickets for two weeks to all the parks it took quite a lot of time and a lot of deliberation on whether or not we were able to afford it but we've booked it for november of next year very exciting uh, it's something that I kind of never thought I'd get round to doing, uh, but you have to kind of just book it. Uh, like, I think that's the one thing I've learned from this is we kind of just went, yeah, let's just do it. On Friday, we're, we're going to book a holiday to Florida because then at that point, you you stop worrying about, oh, I need to save money and you start actually saving money. Uh, and I, I think getting over that barrier to do something like that I imagine there's a lot of people I've spoken to quite a lot of people that have messaged me and commented on my post saying that I'm going to Florida uh, and saying, Oh my God, it's a life dream. I've always wanted to go. And they're like in their forties and you're going, well, yeah, you you probably could. You just really need to kind of work at it. And it it does mean that I may have to um, skip on a couple of luxuries over the next year. Uh, but it'll be well worth it in the long run. It's a complete bucket list thing to do. Uh, so is going to Dubai now by the sounds of it. You're, you're going to have a great time. You're going to have such a good time, Brett. Honestly, congratulations, mate. And I can't wait to hear more about it. Yeah, it, it's weird. I, I obviously have gone from asking you guys questions and, and not being that involved in the Florida side of the conversation to kind of learning from you guys a little bit on on what's best to do when I was when I was booking it, I was in our group chat saying, where's to go? We're looking at this place. And you were like, no, that place looks a bit stabby. Don't go there. We'll go to. <laughs> so um, we, we've kind of worked it out. And, and yeah, it, it's not a, a Disney Grand Floridian holiday, uh, but it doesn't need to be. I think you can you can go there and, and appreciate all these parks and, and really just be able to go out there and enjoy Florida for what it is without all these ridiculous expenses. Uh, I think I said in the in the Florida chat we had, you see the likes of Disney Food Blog on YouTube saying the top ten places to stay in Florida, and it's it's all Disney parks or incredibly extravagant things that are like three hundred dollars, five hundred to a thousand dollars a night, uh, it, which is just crazy, crazy money. Um, that's not including park tickets or anything as well. Uh, 
and you kind of go, how are people talking about this? And, and how are they affording it? Well, the, the thing is, is they, they don't, they're just making videos about it a lot of the time. Uh, so after learning that there are other options, yeah, you, you can, turns out, go to Florida for about £2,000 per person, which is amazing. Uh, it's worked out basically in half, £1,000 for flights and hotel for two weeks, and just over 1000 for park tickets, including Disney, Universal, SeaWorld, and Busch Gardens as well, with a bunch of other random things. Found out we can go to Gator Park for free. Get Gator, you know that well-known attraction. <laughs> Apparently, it's supposed to be all yeah, right. Actually, don't you know? Yeah. All right. Well, we will have plenty of conversations about that um, as the months go forward. Definitely looking forward to that. So, before we finish, then, uh, Sam, uh, if you're still there, do you want to just tell people where they can find you? Yes, absolutely. You can find all of my bits uh, on Post to Sam blog on Instagram. Okay, and uh, Dan, do you want to tell people where they can find On Air Club? Yeah, so we've got um, a TikTok channel, which is starting to be be pretty well populated. Um, I got a response from The Deep the other day when I tagged them in a a flyover. Um, We've also got a a YouTube channel by the same name with videos pending, so more on that shortly. And we've got an Instagram channel, which I think I had to use underscores on, so it's... um, on underscore air underscore club because the original was taken. I hate it when that happens. Uh, but yeah, any of those. Um, Brett, just remind people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's probably your easiest way of finding me at Brett Jones 92. There I post about everything I do because everything is something completely different each day, whether it is ghost hunting or designing a themed golf course down in Land's End. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, so Theme Park Loopy, you can also find us on Instagram, on YouTube, Twitter. If you like this episode, make sure you're following or subscribing and uh, maybe leave us a review as well. So thank you very much. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you again real soon.